everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I am Bree. And with us today, we have a special guest, the one and only author Pippa Roscoe. Welcome Yay! to the podcast. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Tell us about, introduce yourself, please. Introduce yourself, yes. Oh, this is the hardest question. <laughs> so I always get them wrong. I'm like, so um, my name is Pippa and I am the author of 13 romances so far and I live in Norfolk, England and as you will find out, I have an unhealthy obsession with snacks and coffee. <laughs> we do too. That is fine. <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you want to kick us off with icebreakers? Absolutely. Yes. Speaking of your coffee addiction, if you could only have <laughs> one coffee order for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, I would have to be a cappuccino from Monmouth Coffee, which is a coffee shop in Borough Market in London Bridge. And it does the best coffee. And Occasionally, on a good morning before work, I used to meet um, my boss at the time and we'd have our coffee and we'd sit there and we'd just have this kind of moment in, out of the madness before the crowds descend and fill Borough Market. And it was just it was just a really beautiful thing, beautiful time. And it is definitely some of the best coffee I've ever had. Mm. What is one of your favourite romance tropes to read? Oh, enemies to lovers every time yes like, you just yes. cannot beat that kind of i hate you but i love you but i hate you and i hate that i love you but i love you to so much it doesn't matter <laughs> um yeah no i i've i've always really really enjoyed that and that kind of furtive angry looks between the hero and the heroine and kind of yeah no I just I love it that that's that's, that's my crack as they say you know brilliant. yes <laughs> what has been one of the most random places an idea for a book came to you uh well I was gonna say this is quite a hard one because I really just stay in my house so it tends to be room <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fine <laughs> but I think one of the weirdest ones I had was when I was watching a Jack Reacher film and I was like, oh, hold on, wait, hold on, there's, a, there's, there's an idea there, then that needs to be followed, pause the Jack Reacher, sorry, Tom Cruise, um, and it was like, oh, I just scribble it down on my kind of phone or on a pad and come back to it later. I still haven't written the story, but it was definitely one of the weirdest ones. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, ebook, audiobook, physical copy. What's your preferred reading method? Oh, so I think because I used to read on Kindle for work, I associate reading on Kindle for work. So I tend not to do that with the books that like okay. I really, I like want. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that I'm not sure how sustainable ecologically that is these days. And but then again, ebooks aren't really they have a big enough carbon footprint themselves so at the moment you know it's just about feeling and if we take out the ecological impact then hands down paper every time yeah yeah <laughs> okay you mentioned reading on ebook for work like yeah. what kind of work were we doing here <laughs> so I used to work for Harlequin Mills and Boone out okay. on the defense team so I would read um, as an editor, part of the slush submissions or the books that um, of the authors that I was working with. 
So I would associate that kind of time. There was not, I don't want to say that the, reading these books was like working because it wasn't and it was wonderful and I got to do an amazing job. But I associated yeah. that with like work hours. So I found it quite hard yeah. to read for pleasure in terms of like on a Kindle for a while. I'm getting better at it though, because there are obviously quite a lot of authors that you now can't read in paperback. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of having to kind of train myself out of that work mentality. But it's been about <laughs> five, six years now. So that's that that's sort of lessening as the time goes on. That's so that is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to the bit about what I used to do as a job very soon. <laughs> well, we love romance origin stories and read on your website that at the age of nine, your oh. mother gave you a romance novel to read. Yeah. This is all this is honestly a little bit different than most of what we hear, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's usually a lot of sneaking involved, but yes. do you remember the title of that first book or just I, what uh, was it about the genre that hooked you? Like, did it hook you immediately or what? Like, give us all the details. Yeah, so it's really funny. So I was um, I was ill and I was at home from school and my mum comes in before she leaves to work and she's like, you're ill, so this is what you read. Wow. Julie <laughs> <She came laughs> Cooper's Prudence. So okay, Julie Cooper, I'm writing that down. Yeah. So Julie <laughs> Cooper is known for like her big bonk busters, you know, like riders and rivals and all that. But she also did what must be about category length romances and it was called yeah it was called prudence and it was about the pan 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 panhaligan family the these three brothers and the kind of innocent girl and she's taken down to the family estate and she's there with the kind of amazing hotshot lawyer but he seems not quite interested in her so she's a bit confused but she's in this family setting and and then she really rubs up the other brother, the older brother, who's completely disapproving of like her <laughs> ways and her sensuality is just too much for this repressed man to handle. It's an amazing scene. And I think it's, I think it's prudence, but I'm pretty sure that she dresses in like this green velvet catsuit, which he just thinks is just like, a horror like how dare she be flaunting herself in this green like velvet tracksuit and she's yeah. she's feeling sort of slightly uncomfortable in it because she realized that she's slightly missed the dress code but now she's determined to <laughs> like, brush, brush it out but then she needs to go to the loo <laughs> so she has to take off the the, the catsuit to go to the to go to the bathroom and I can't remember why, but he has to kick down the door. He kicks down the door. It's just like completely naked. It's just, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And it's its just a fabulous book. And it's really enjoyable. And it's full of that kind of drama and the extravagance and the kind of... And, and she gets ill at some point and he has to nurse her back to hell. Like, it's just crazy. And This is a lot. Okay, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So I so I read that and I took it to school because we oh had bring your, bring your book to school day and I was like well I'm reading this so I'll take it to school and the teacher was like that is hardly an appropriate book and I was like what <laughs> I was like no one has told me that this is inappropriate to read no one has yeah. told me that I'm not supposed to be reading that and there isn't actually sex on the page so it is closed door romance to a certain extent but it is a romance and I but I was yeah. very you know, confused 
And she clearly decided that I was some delinquent and was to be watched <laughs> like a hawk for the rest of my time at that school. Oh my gosh. Um, which was hilarious. So I then, I ended up reading quite a few of the, the short ones by Jilly Cooper. Um, I embarrassingly have not read any of the longer ones. Um, <laughs> but then sort of growing up, I, I kind of got into crime and psychological thrillers and fantasy. And I went down that role hard, like that kind of route quite hard for a very long time. Um, it, I was working in TV and like after uni and, you know, I'd, I'd be carrying around this kind of brick of a book that was like three, like a trilogy, three books in one, like in my rucksack, cause I needed a rucksack to carry the book. It was so heavy. And be reading all the time and they're like we think you might be in the wrong industry <laughs> like well yeah <laughs> this is tv and that's 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 books and I was like no no I love tv and I do love tv so but I did I eventually found my way into publishing which was wonderful um and then I was just completely immersed in obviously in the in the Harlequin and Mills and Boone world when I was I joined the presents team as an editorial assistant and cut my teeth there like met the most incredible inspiring women and authors that I've ever had the kind of honor to meet and work with and it was a it was a really incredible environment to go into from from quite harsh mean no offense but quite quite a difficult tv industry to one that was very nurturing and 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 female-centric and positive in that way and not negative as I had encountered myself in other industries um which was that kind of mm-hmm. slightly bitter slightly aggressive who do you think you are we had to go through hell to get here so we so you do too which was very very yeah. different and obviously yeah. in in which I found in publishing and in, and in Mills and Boone was completely opposite and it was just like oh my god this is where I'm supposed to be and it was wonderful mm-hmm. so I had that. This is a very long story. Sorry, I should probably cut to the chase. No. Um, uh, but yeah, I've never considered myself actually a romance reader as such. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always the kind of the psychological thrillers and the fantasies. And what I didn't realize was how much the romance was keeping me in, in those genres. In the story, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I wanted. Like, yeah. um, so it was a real joy to come to Mills and Boone and open my eyes because I'm not really a, a kind of contemporary women's fiction reader. I'm not like a chick lit as such reader. Um, and I'm still finding the authors. And that's what I love about this job is that, that you know, whether you you hear someone's read a book that you really like and you're going to follow that round and you end up reading like random motorcycle romance that's like really hot and really hard. And you're like, wow, that was new. I'm like, I'm here for that. CMO, bring it on. Um, and then follow kind of someone mentions dark romance. And I'm like, right, I'm going to go down that road. Like, let's, let's check that out. Thank you very much. And, and then, and you find like new readers, new authors, and you're like, this is just the most amazing world. And they've got backlists. Yeah. And you can read yeah. more. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, but obviously, I mean, I was working with some incredible authors, um, you know, like Maisie Yates and Chantal Shaw and Lynn Graham and, you know, historicals as like Annie Burroughs and Carol Townend. And um, it just I, I, there were definitely, you know, other authors like Michelle Smart and Tara Pammy and just absolutely humbled and honoured to to know them and to meet them. 
um, and was really, really lucky to go on a writing course with Sharon Kendrick before I joined Mills and Boom, um, which was just the most incredible experience that I'd ever been. So I'd left the BBC on a kind of dramatic, I'm never going back kind of. (laughs) (laughs) So anyone listening from the BBC, it was a wonderful learning experience and I had a really great time. Um, (laughs) It was just not for me. um, Right, yeah. So I had um, booked on this course with Sharon in Tuscany, um, where I met Mm. Rachel Thomas and Jennifer Haywood and a load of other incredibly talented, wonderful women and just had the most wonderful time listening to Sharon just just talk with such passion and joy and enthusiasm and and genuine love for what she did. Like it was just Mm -hmm. completely infectious and it just... she's just incredibly good at identifying what it is about presents that's just that makes us want to read it that makes us love it that makes Mm -hmm. us come back to it whether we're having a good Mm -hmm. time or a bad time that she knows and she is honest and humble and aware of the fact of how important that that is for our readers and I mean sorry I'm kind of goosebumps just thinking about how amazing it was it was wonderful and uh, (laughs) I was just very very lucky to have been there um, it sounds incredible. I mean, the fact that it was also in Tuscany. There are stories about Aperol spritz and, t- and dinners out in Italy, and there may or may not have been some hot men wandering around. Um, and there was definitely an Italian gardener who might have been slightly old, but still very, very, very impressive. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was. You were in Italy and it was just this kind of wonderful, just, you know, gone, when, when we could travel, do you know what I mean? Like, gone on the yeah. Yeah. very yeah. luxurious and very, very lucky. And and that was my real kind of like hard introduction to Mills and Boone. And okay. it was just possibly the best introduction anyone could have ever had. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. That is so cool. I was not expecting cool. that. Right. Okay. We have to, we're, so we're going to talk about like Mills and we're going to talk about presents or mm-hmm. modern in yeah. a little bit, but like, can you explain, like, how did you get there? Cause like you were doing other things. Like how did you wind up there? Were you like, this isn't my thing. Let me just start applying for other jobs and like voila, yeah. it happened. Voila. Like as, as a, as an employee or as a writer, as an employee, as an employee. Yeah, as an employee. So I had, so I got my work experience, I got to the BBC by work experience. I applied for work experience and did a placement on a show called Holby City, which is a little like the unsexy paid for version of, of, of VR. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> you know, all, all, for current, all for current viewers, you know, Grey's Anatomy is like the non-sexy version. Yeah. <laughs> as medical dramas find it's it is a fantastic medical drama. It's been going on for many years and it is, it's an institution. And I, and I was very lucky to get a job from doing work experience there. And I wanted to get into publishing and was very interested in Mills and Boone and romance. And I applied for work experience because I was like, you need to, you know, I might be, I think I was like 29 or 30 at the time. And it's very unusual for obviously someone of that age to apply for something like work experience. But I, feel like it's Mm -hmm. much more authentic to apply for work experience and 
because you need to know whether you even like the job. You have fantasies about what your career may be or what an office in that career may be like and you build it up in your head and it's not necessarily the reality and you don't always know whether it's even a suitable environment for you. So I had no qualms about applying uh, as a slightly older adult from work experience, which is what people normally do at 16 years old. And I got a phone call just before I went on Sharon's course, actually. And they were asking me to interview for the position because they'd seen my my CV and they'd kept my CV on file for over a year. And they were like, let's not bother with the work experience, just come in for an interview. And I was just completely honored. And I had the most amazing interview. Um, during which I swore, I th- which I thought was like, right, they're never going to hire me now. Like, I'm out, that's it, I'm gone. And I was like, I might as well relax and enjoy myself now because, you know, there's no hope. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> when you, like, accidentally slip out and, oh, shit, and then you're like, oh, well, just shit. Now I just got to be yeah. myself. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was, I think I was talking about Maisie Yates, and I was talking about one of her books, and I think I said it was fucking amazing. And then I was like, and then I was like Sarah do we not okay when we talk about Maisie when we we talk talk about Maisie fucking is in there (laughs) I think I think I think I I didn't realize but I clearly got away with that because at least it was appropriate right Um, and then I was asked to give an example of like like a, a situation where I had helped colleagues um, okay. which I was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then the only thing I could think of was in in my old job, in the job I'd just been doing before that, um, people got birthday – some people got – like, people would make a birthday cake, but only okay. certain people would get those handmade birthday cakes. And a friend – and, like, a senior member of staff who happened to be a good friend of mine had her birthday and no one had made her a cake. And it was really kind of – you could see she'd been quite upset by it. So I was like, right, we're going to the pub at lunchtime and we're going to have a gin and tonic. And we we don't care about those people that make cakes. We're going to have a gin and tonic and then we'll come back to work and it'll be fine. And we can, they can do their thing and we're doing ours and ours is much cooler than my handmade birthday cake. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So so this was the example I gave in an interview of my amazing thing. Right, so I've sworn and I've said that I went and took my friend, my colleague for alcohol during work hours. Like, no chance of getting this job. Um, And thankfully, I think they saw my potential and (laughs) she's a team player she doesn't want anyone to feel left out yeah she's a shoe in she knows the value of a good drink so we're all good (laughs) right (laughs) i love it um so when did you realize that you want to write romance novels like at what point so that was it that was a good one so i thought i wanted to write a fantasy um and wrote 180,000 words of the first book in a trilogy from a synopsis that was only two pages long. So that was quite funny. Um, <laughs> no one will ever read that 180,000 words ever. Um, and I now know a lot more about you know, writing than I did when I went into it. Um, but I think it became something that I was aware of in the back of my mind. I think as an editor, you have to be very careful. Like, and I've seen it before when editors who want to write end up trying to rewrite someone else's story. And yeah, I can, I can imagine that. And mm-hmm. you have to be very careful about 
what suggestions you're making as an editor and how holistic that has to be for the story rather than what you want out of it. Um, so I was very careful about it being very much in the background while I was at work, while I was working with my authors. And it sort of came out of um, this idea that was, was influenced by 24, the TV show. I was like, there is, a, you can definitely write a presents in real time. Like hands down, I became utterly convinced that you could write a presents in real time. And it just wouldn't stop. This idea just wouldn't stop. And it was going around my head. And, and I, Sarah, I remember you talking about this um, on one of the podcasts about your writing. You've got this idea that won't let go. Is mm-hmm. that, I'm misremembering mm-hmm. that. But yeah, you've got this thing and it's just- That's there. absolutely right. right. Yeah. Won't go. And I was just like, I just have to write this book. And so that's how it started. Yeah. That's how Conquering His Virgin Queen started. And I loved every minute of it. It was set in London and it was, you know, set at the Heron Tower. And oh. I just, I, yeah, and I loved it. And I kind of finished it and was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to quit my job. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> um, obviously they hadn't even, they hadn't agreed to buy it yet, but it was, it was like, oh, okay. I know how that made me feel. And the act of writing that book and finishing that book, I mean, was, was life-changing because it made me realize what I needed it's to like do. It's exhilarating. And, oh, and I mean, the first draft was terrible. I mean, it was quite horrific. <laughs> it wasn't like this wonderful, orgasmic, <laughs> you know, made, incredible first draft that wasn't touched at all. It was like, it needed some serious work. But, um, but <laughs> what happens when, the way I view, I guess, the way I view first drafts is that they are the mess and the, the second draft is the first book. It's the, it's the kind of the book mm-hmm. it's, it should be. But I also think that probably comes from my experience as an editor and understanding how ed- edits impact, impact writing from that side before mm-hmm. starting to be a writer. I never expect a first draft to, to even be passable, frankly. Certainly not one of mine. <laughs> I guess I want to hear you speak a little bit about, because like Sarah and I talk about it all the time, like when people see presents or modern, it's so iconic. So like Mm -hmm. having had that experience of like, you've been on both sides of the fence. So like, I guess before we get into like the book specifically more and like talking about how you would like describe presents, like as an editor, I'm just like, okay, what trends were popular in the series when you were working on it? Like when you were sent like a manuscript and you like how you, you touched on it a little bit, like having to remember not to like guide the story into like the direction that you would want it to be as a reader, but like having to keep that editor hat on, like Mm -hmm. how did you kind of separate the two? Like there's so, this is just, this has gotten so much cooler than I thought it was going to be like, this is going to be awesome. And now it's like, oh shit, this is a whole new level of awesome. Right. I was like, I need a gin and tonic. I need a gin and tonic. Like things are going crazy. So yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I guess, um, it was it for me it's very easy because I as an editor I go in or I went in very much with the intention that it it is about nurturing someone else's story and seeing where and you can you can on you know I mean well then you training I suppose but you can see where the author is going and you want to help them bring that out 
And that okay. isn't ever going to be my voice. I'm not going to make a suggestion that's like, oh, could you throw in a secret baby? Because that'd be great. You know, like, <laughs> like, no, you've got this. There's this, there's mm. this inkling and there's this sense in here that you've got running through. And I'm not sure if you, you're even aware of it. And you might be, and it might have been intentional. And let's just pull that out because that, that would be like the emotional truth of the story. You can see that emotional truth and you want more of it. And you want to suck mm-hmm. a read around the head with that emotional truth and that character's development and and the romance of it and the love story because that is what powerful writers can do and that is what resonates with readers. Um, as to kind of what tropes we'd see or we're looking for, um, I... I guess presents was very lucky and that a lot of people enjoy it and want to write for it, which is fantastic. So they know that they know what the Mm -hmm. tropes are and they're authors who love the series. So they know what they want to write. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't go in looking for a particular trope, but it would so like, you could say we weren't, everyone loves secret babies, but we weren't kind of going, Oh, we need a secret baby. So let's see what's in the pile. Um, So the edits are very much more focused about ensuring that the author has the confidence and the support they need to bring out that real honest to God shining red ruby of a heart of presents. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. the thing that gives you goosebumps. Um, Yeah. You know, kind of the really empathetic turn of the heroine and the hero when they really feel that they cannot fight this anymore or they can't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I love about Presents is the yeah. extreme drama of it all. And it's not, you know, the red talon slap around the face of the other woman anymore. It's like the emotional yeah. drama of it. It's the emotional depth and intensity yeah. that gets matched by the sensuality of the couple and the sexuality. Mm-hmm. But also it's that kind of, God, I'm crying as I'm reading this because I felt that too. Do you know what I mean? That sense of, I don't want to be lonely anymore or I don't want to hurt anymore and you made me better, not because Mm -hmm. you're a man and not because you're, you know, it's because I am better because of my relationship with you. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that's the kind of... Oh, I could get, I could wax lyrical on this and keep going. And I'm sorry. This is your show. Okay. We're not going to finish it until six. <laughs> I mean, I love that you said that because I messaged Sarah, like we're reading through from one night to desert queen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm having that feeling that only strangely I get where I'm like, I'm afraid to finish this book because I feel like it's going to be a new favorite book. And like, I don't want it to end, you know? And I'm like, it really, (laughs) like, it really is. There is just like, I was very new to presents when we started this Mm -hmm. podcast. And like, Sarah was like, when you think of, when you read presents, it is the fairy tale aspect of romance. And I'm like, you are so right, girl. Yeah. <laughs> just love it. And the thing about Presents as well, in my opinion, is it's timeless. My aunt yeah. read them way back when, right? Now, yeah. with the advent of cell phones and technology, let's take that out. The core story is still the same as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That's the brilliant part. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I remember reading, I, you know, a, 
one of them with a floppy disk. And it was like, that's not going to make me put down the book. I'm not going to put down a book because it's got a floppy disk in it. I'm not going to write put down the book because I need to know if he and her, like, if they're going to get together, if he is going to throw yeah. it on the floor, which I'm really hoping he does. And, you know, <laughs> it's, um, there is nothing like a presents. There is just nothing else like yeah. out there. And it's the intensity and the drama and the passion and the, the kind of, mm-hmm. it's really funny. I was trying, cause it's always a hard one. How do you describe presents? And I, I kind of want to say, and this is going to come out wrong. It has that kind of YA intensity. I feel like the that kind angst. of adult yeah. angst and yeah. it's hard to get angst in adult contemporary romance. I mean, you can get oh, yeah. Yes, you can get emotional conflict. Absolutely. You can get incredible, textural, harrowing, the beautiful stories throughout contemporary romance that don't have angst. But angst is the thing mm-hmm. that kind of for me is the one that where you're like crawling your nails on the table because you just need them to either get to the bedroom or get to the end where they're happy and they're married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still and in the bedroom. I think you're so right. You're so right because when I read them, like how I feel now, it's like that. I tell Sarah all the time, like I, my soul is eternally seventeen years old, and like seven, that seventeen-year-old girl in me is like, "You love this, you fucking love this." <laughs> but like, there is something about like you know, Sarah and I. We both periodically still read young adult and mm-hmm. plug like whenever this episode comes out the episode would have been out but we did a YA category romance episode so, yeah. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I mean there's something about that young adult like when you're a teenager you just yep. feel like this is the love of my life I'm never gonna love again and it's so real and raw and yep. like that's how I feel when I'm reading yeah. Princess. <laughs> And that's what's lovely about it. I mean, like I have my, my niece is, is 17 and I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry for you that you're going through this. I'm also <laughs> yeah. it nothing else like having the crush on the guy that walked to school that you would never speak to in your whole entire life. Yeah. You occasionally yeah. caught eyes with him and he was really hot and you just built this fantasy world, you know. Out that's of, right, you know, that's right. The poor guy that just used to walk to school and probably was hiding from the weird girl that was like staring at him. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, it, so that is like the, the presents. I mean, you can talk about the presents promise to the reader, which is which is what I love about it. Is to me, it's a promise that we make to the reader that you will enter this world, and this world will be rich and it will be luxurious and it will be glamorous and it will whisk you away. And we don't mean whisk you away in terms of escapism romance. I personally don't have a problem with the phrase escapism. I know some people feel like it's dismissive of what we do, but it whisks you away in the sense that it takes you from our normal lives which are sometimes mundane or not but I'm like I'm never going to meet a billionaire in a private jet listening to Paris for the night yeah um I mean any billionaires out there listening I'm I'm single it's fine (laughs) I'm fine I'm down to go to Paris for the night I'm totally down (laughs) universe I'm asking you now yeah (laughs) but yeah it's those are the those are that's that's kind of the tone of it but that's yeah. not what presents ju- presents isn't just those things it's not just glamorous or luxurious or billionaires or innocent heroines 
and and what's amazing about the series is that actually every single author has a different writing style and a different sensuality levels and a different angle of that promise and that's what makes it timeless because Mm -hmm. we're all speaking our stories that are of the time but are also completely timeless if Mm -hmm. that made any sense and didn't sound no it does um in 2018 your debut with mills and boone modern harlequin presents released conquering as virgin queen can you share with us what your journey to becoming published was like so that was quite interesting because I did a bit of a fire sale. I basically, <laughs> you're never going to get a short answer out of me, but um, I, I was living in South London. Uh, love, I mean, I grew up in South London. I'm a South London girl. I was like London for life. This is all good. And I was like, no, I'm not anymore. <laughs> like, I'm not. I decided I was like, no, I can't do London. Um, people, there was a shift in the, in the kind of feel and the tone of the of of people it became quite I want to say angry it was quite a stressful city for me to live in okay and um I decided that actually I needed to make some changes in my life and my niece and my nephew were growing up you know and I, and I wasn't there to see it and I was far away from them well I say far away like two and a half hours like nothing is yep. far in the UK compared to like you know <laughs> Americans and Canadians it's just like oh little oh, oh poor me I have to drive two and a half hours but you know, when you're when you're working really hard and you're thinking I don't have time for that and I don't have time for this and mm-hmm. and I realized that I wanted to be I want I wanted my life to be different I wanted to be able to see my niece and my nephew and I wanted to be able to manage my time where I put just as much importance on my health and my mental well-being as I did on mm-hmm. my working hours um, so I had written the first draft and I <laughs> sort of decided that I was going to have to sell my flat because that would give me the financial security to make the move. And the only way I could do that mm-hmm. is by leaving London and moving to the country. And mm-hmm. so okay. I was like, do I do this? This is a massive risk. You know, I'm like, I'm 35 mm-hmm. at the time, 34 at the time. I've changed careers twice. My CV is crazy. If this all fails, what do I do? Like, I can't just assume mm-hmm. that I'm going to walk in and publish a book and I'm suddenly going to financially support myself. That's not realistic. Um, and I think, actually, we have to talk to our aspiring authors about what is realistic and what is the real implications of selling a mm-hmm. book financially, emotionally. There's there's a whole shift that you experience as, as a person as an individual and as a family unit, if you're in a family, because, oh, I can, sorry, I'm getting off the point again. Keep on track. So, but no, these are, these no, are this things. Is, that, you're going off the point and I'm like, go, I'm thinking of questions. So like, keep going <laughs> off the your good. <laughs> so, but, but it is, there's a huge shift that happens between that kind of first draft and sale and then contract that most people aren't mm-hmm. prepared for because how can you be it's a complete dream like you can't predict what you're going to feel like or what the reality is going to be like but I knew enough for being like I need to be able to be comfortable with the idea of making this move and working in another industry if that doesn't work and I was like I'm comfortable with that I still want to do it it's the right time for me to leave it's the right time for me to leave London and so handing in my notice was was just awful like it was just a sob fest between me and Joanne Grant I was I was really upset I didn't want to leave but 
it was absolutely the right thing for me to do um, mm. because that they're, they're an amazing team and every single person there believes in the product that we have and every person there knows that it's people's happy afters we're looking after because every reader makes their book a happy ever after for them and that is not something you take mm-hmm. lightly. And it's something we're very kind of attached to, as you can see. <laughs> I'm about to start crying. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, so I, I did. I sold my flat. Um, my brother came and helped me move in a big, giant rented van because I would not have been able to drive it. Um, I found my lovely little cottage <laughs> in Norfolk, which is <laughs> one day I buy just after after another, but it's fun. Um, oh, and it I took me crazy. <laughs> and... I had given them my manuscript after I left because I, I, you, I couldn't, you, you needed to separate that. It's like church and state <laughs> editor and writer. Of course. So, um, mm-hmm. so I waited, I think, about nine months to hear back on the first draft, which was, you know, mm-hmm. at thought, like I had to get, I had to actually, it was really good for me because I had to have breathing space to adjust to the massive shift that I just made to my entire life. You know, I'd left friends behind. I had to figure out how I was going to fund myself for the first few years and, you know, figure out how this works. How I feel as a person living on my own outside of London because I'd never done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, So the revisions came and I was just like, oh, my God, thank God. At least they want me to do revisions. (laughs) My, My biggest fear was that I'd write an okay book. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I would be happy if it was, like, spectacularly bad or, like, good, but it couldn't be okay. So I was like, brilliant, right, revisions. And I go through, this is, I have discovered this is my revision process, which is I get them and I think, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then I have to sit on them for two days and then I start doing them and then I'm like, oh, my God, it's awful. No one has ever written as bad as me. This isn't going to work. <laughs> And then I have to get that out of my system. It takes about 24 hours. It's like a head cold. Like, you know, it just needs to come and go. And then I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I'm back on it. I can do it. Just steamroll them. Just get through them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was on a date, which was really funny. So I was on a date and I was due to hear back about my book. And I had told this guy, bless him, who really didn't know me very well, that I had that if the phone went, I had to take it. It wasn't me being, oh my God, get me out yeah. of here. It was like, like, I'm having a really lovely time with you. I feel like I have to tell you that if the phone goes, I have to answer it. And the phone rang and I was like, <gasps> try and play it cool between the phone and the date. And it was really unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I was literally <laughs> while I was on the phone. And I was like, I want to be like, <gasps> Sorry, for those who obviously you can't see me, but I just wave my hands in a very aggressive way. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. I could, yeah. So, so Flo called and she was like, hi. Um, and we're both playing it kind of a bit cool because it's like we both know what happens in this conversation. We both yeah. know this conversation, but it's still new. Um, and unfortunately, I do my usual, my usual thing. Instead of going, 
oh my god, I'm like so happy, I'm like amazing, and I'm freaking out, and I don't want to do it, it's so wonderful. Oh gosh. Logistics later. Oh gosh. Instead of doing any of that, I'm like, right, okay, so um, what are we doing about this, and what are we doing about that? And Flo's so like, oh, congratulations, by the way, but yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, but I need to get everything in my head, and then I can freak mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So um, it was probably one of the weirder phone calls they've ever given. <laughs> um, and so I put the phone down and then I ended the date and I got home and then I completely freaked out and pulled myself a gin and tonic. You had to be the cool girl. You had to be I, the cool girl. Right? Like, there was nothing cool about that. I was like, you have to be the, the weird geek girl who has to get the specifics down. <laughs> just wants to talk about admin. And it was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> then you get home and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, that was exactly. <laughs> then I got home, put the music on the radio, did my little dance around the kitchen, which is like the kind of you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really just, cool. I just imagine you like you the movie The Holiday. Like that's what I think of <laughs> when you post stuff and you're like the cottage, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" I can imagine Pippa Rossman in this cute like cottage out in the cottage, middle of yeah. nowhere. <laughs> Well, it's definitely not quite out in the middle of nowhere. My neighbours have gotten used to my very strange and weird ways. Um, (laughs) And they've also got used to helping me because the house is slightly falling down. But I love her. She's she's been standing for longer than all of us and she'll be standing long after us. So she's doing all right. Yes. Go ahead, girl. She's a strong girl. She is strong. Before we get into writing stuff, I want to touch on one point you kind of made while you were chatting. Like, Mm. so for new writers, right? Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about a conversation that you have to, like a conversation that needs to be had with new writers before they just like give it all up. Like financial stuff. This is the smart thing to do. You don't want to just go quit your job. Like were you having to have those conversations or is it like someone else in the department that's like look girl you're selling the book but you might want to hold on to your day job for a little bit longer like what are those conversations like Mm because I think there's this misconception for us as readers we're like oh you're good you're you're an author you're good and it's like yeah no no No. it's funny because I'm not sure those I think those conversations tend to take place between authors after the fact because first of all no one wants to take away the joy no one wants to take away anyone's joy. And it is joyful. It is yeah. incredible. But I think there is also like a reality that, um, you know, when you you get a contract mm-hmm. and you maybe get, if you're lucky, work with certain publishers, you'll get an advance. And that will be mainly either on site, like be- before you submit the manuscript and then when the manuscript is accepted for publication. Um, but that is an advance on royalties that you won't earn for another year, maybe a year and a half, because the book isn't going to be published for a year. And then it's six months beyond that to actually accumulate royalties. And those royalties aren't like instant. Like, you know, you don't get like this massive instant chunk of cash and you readers may be slow to kind of feel meet new authors or, but you can't go from like um, even a mid-level, low level, like a, say you've got a 25K a year job, whatever currency, mm-hmm. you aren't going to earn that in your first year as an author. Mm-hmm. So you can't go from one to another and you're not going to 
earn that in the second year and I didn't earn it in the third. And so it's about ensuring that you had like, so the reason I had to sell my flat was because I had to buy my house without a mortgage. I had to find somewhere that didn't have a mortgage. So I didn't have that outgoing. Mm -hmm. And no one would give me a mortgage because I was no longer earning an income that was provable. And I didn't have a provable income until six months ago when I had to get a mortgage to pay for the the building work but that's another story um (laughs) so there's that there is a financial aspect that you just have you have to be aware of but also there's a complete shift in your writing that happens when when you're writing and you're submitting your stories are completely boundless they're joyous and they're wonderful and yeah they're full of mistakes but you know no one's going to tell you what those mistakes are so you're all good you're fine you're enjoying this beautiful boundless experience of writing stories and when they are edited slowly you become aware of your writing style and your writing technique and and maybe things that need tweaked or maybe things that work on so you you lose some of the the blindness and I don't mean blindness in an ignorant way but and I you become it's like a loss of innocence that becomes filled with experience so it's not a negative thing and it's not a sad thing it's just completely different to what your writing is like before you're bored but when you are given a contract you suddenly have to deliver your beautiful book your wonderful story to a specific deadline and it's not any longer the thing that you do around your job and it's not anything longer that your partner or your family think oh you're just doing your writing that's really lovely good for you you keep going you do your writing and then when you're like well now it's a job and now I've got a deadline and now I have to write because I have contractual agreements and they're like but you what do you mean you can't pick up the kids why can't you do the washing up like my why can't you look after my dog I'm sick and you're like yeah but I'm working oh but it's not real work Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So mm. your family, there is a shift in what you are doing with your time that your family need to also be understanding of because it is now a profession <laughs> and it is now actually my, this isn't just something I do in the evenings because I love it. This is something that I now have a, a financial agreement with someone to complete. So no, I can't look after your dog when you're not feeling well or, you know, and I've been very lucky. My family have been very understanding. And I also live alone and I'm single. So I don't have to manage my partner's expectation or my family's expectation around my mm-hmm. new hours. And it's a dynamic that it changes you inherently because you have pride and joy and financial stuff that you've created in this thing. And it, and it changes you completely because you have confidence and you are empowered not constantly because, you know, writer's block happens and <laughs> revisions happen and they, you know, yeah. there's a whole emotional <laughs> yeah. side that comes with revisions. And, but your identity is morphing into something that it was not before. And that morphing and that new identity is sometimes, as always, a challenge for the people around you. Whenever anyone changes who they are or the dynamic of what they're expressing or potentially explores a new way of healthy eating or going to the gym or doing any of those things when they start to change themselves it is an adjustment for those around you so I feel that as a as an editor as, as an author going from aspiring to published that is not to be underestimated because the ramifications of that change to you your personality your time and your investment has very very real repercussions on those around you and that that's not always an easy transition to make it's beautiful when it happens and when you're able to yeah. do it successfully. it's <laughs> just sure. that kind of 
it is something that will happen to you and it's something that it's okay and it's not weird mm-hmm. and it's not angry and yeah husbands and wives and mothers-in-laws and children will have to come with you on that journey mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that's my bit on that <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're gonna do like a set the scene you want to sit down and write for the day what time do you what time of day do you prefer to write oh I'm definitely a morning person I have so it depends whether I'm writing, writing or I'm planning. So I split my kind of books into two stages. So I have like a, a chunk of time where I plan and then a chunk of time where I sit down and write. But it normally, it always happens in the morning. So I'm like, get up, shower, put the coffee on, obviously. Actually, I'm so anal that I have the coffee on while I'm showering so that by the time I'm <laughs> ready, um, ready, I have a whole routine and it all works like clockwork. And so I tend to sit down at the computer at about 7.30 in the morning and then I'll like down a whole cafetiere while I'm like <laughs> working, like typing or planning. And so at around 11 o'clock, I feel like I need, I start getting a bit like, you need to get up. <laughs> You've been at the okay. computer for long. Um, that's when my attention span starts to change. So mm-hmm. I will either try and go and do some yoga if I can, depending if I'm writing, then I'm by that point, I'm like, I'm almost ready to fall asleep again. I'm exhausted, like sustained focus for that period of time is really hard. Um, and But in the afternoon, so the afternoons tend to be a write off for me. So I'll try and either do some social media or I'll go to the gym because I found that actually going to the gym is like is very important for me, not only getting out of the house, but my mental health in terms of keeping me balanced and not turning me into a nutcase who has loads of cats and talks to herself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, aside from... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, beside coffee or Mm -hmm. something to drink, what are some of the other necessities you need around you as you're writing? So I have more notebooks than you could ever possibly imagine. Um, I need the tissues because I have the world's worst hay fever, which I never had before. So apparently I moved from South London and I become a delicate little flower who has food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and then I've got my plant, which obviously unfortunately for you listeners you won't be able to see but I'm gonna try and my plant is oh, on it's beautiful yeah and I have pinned him to the ceiling <laughs> it's huge and beautiful huge. I love it um and <laughs> he is gorgeous because I needed that green so I need like the greenery of life where mm-hmm. I'm at and I also need light I'm I mean I write in my kitchen but mainly because I have the biggest windows in here and it's the, okay. the, the most amount of light so there's that those two things are pretty good I you posted a photo on your Instagram of you like out at a cafe for the first time and I was like oh I can just imagine Pippa Roscoe jotting yeah. story ideas yeah, like this barista has no idea that this is Pippa fucking Roscoe they just serve <laughs> coffee too <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. Um, yeah, so getting out was, I mean, I, I, I loved South London in that I could go anywhere. I could, within a five minute walk, I could have coffee or I could go for Vietnamese. I could go for Greek, Italian, Spanish, fish and chips, Indian, like the, the cuisine and the coffee shop scenario was amazing where I lived. And unfortunately now in the country, I have to kind of get in the car and drive somewhere to go for coffee yeah. and it's not the same. So I try and sit out in the garden as much as possible, but just the kind of human buzz around you in a coffee shop 
like I love that all the different kind of conversations happening you know the awkward first dates now that our restrictions are lifted and people are like finally seeing themselves for the first time and it's like oh oops whoops (laughs) (laughs) maybe spend a year and a half meeting this guy anyway um so that's all been quite like fascinating to watch and be around so I love that um but yeah I'm a complete right like I always handwrite my notes so I just write and write and write pages and pages and pages of like character descriptions and scenes and what I think is going on so I can spend a long time in a cafe (laughs) so when you sit down you said you you try to like sit down to start around Mm -hmm. seven and it's usually like 11 ish when you stop is there a writing goal or is it just kind of like going at it until Mm -hmm. you're like I'm done yeah so it's funny because I think that's think my attitude towards that has changed with it changes mostly each book actually the way I write each book is fundamentally completely different um I recently was would make so many notes and then I would flesh out an outline chapter by chapter that was about 11,000 words long which is like you know a good fifth of the book (laughs) that's just that's my um yeah and then I realized that I found that towards the end of like the last couple towards the end of last year I found writing really hard like really hard like there were days when I couldn't even get 500 words so to set a word count in that scenario just feels cruel because I'm not going to beat myself up I know it's just not healthy to beat yourself up if it's an unattainable goal um so then I became very conscious that actually what I wanted to do was write one thing that I was really happy with like if it was a sentence if it was if I literally woke up wrote the sentence and was like that's good I'm done I'm gonna go um, I would, I would, because yeah. I found that during that period, I, I was kind of writing became hard. Writing became something that was like a, like a, like a quite torturous. And and because it's something that you're so emotionally connected to, and cerebrally, and physically even, and financially dependent on, it should it, it shouldn't ever be like that. Um, but I got to the end of that book, and I did, and I did it, and then I decided, right, I'm going to change everything. Then I'm now not going to write an outline, or, but I can't do that. I'd love to be able to do that, but I literally can't. I was like, no, that's too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I kind of what I wanted to do was spend the time that I would usually spend creating the outline on actually really getting to grips with my characters who they are beyond like actually really getting to know them as I found that sometimes because I was so detailed on the plot that I was maybe missing some of the emotional depth and the relationship between the hero and the heroine so um and this one I'm just working on now that I'm doing revisions I only wrote a thousand words so I went from 11 to 1 and found Mm -hmm. it completely different like there were times when I was writing 3,000 words a day and was like like this is crazy because you know a couple of months ago I could only write 500 and and then I you know read it through and then I realized that to rewrite those 3,000 words but that's fine because I enjoyed writing every single one of those 3,000 words you know like the joy was beginning to come back which you know Mm -hmm. is is really important when you when we do what we do you're not always going to love it like it is going to be hard there are going to be times when you have too many voices in your head and you have to learn how to cope with that and how to navigate those voices in a way that means that you can still find the joy in what you're doing and and I, I feel like changing it up was worked for me in that instance and yeah I'm really enjoying it like I'm, it's just such a crazy job that we do um so yeah that's no, I don't have a specific <laughs> goal um and I I just see where I'm at I mean obviously I have deadlines so that's kind of my goal 
really to hit that deadline. Um, yeah, yeah. The deadline. Are there specific apps you have downloaded on the computer that you use for whatever your work in progress is? Like we heard Scrivener. Is that your your baby too? Or no, we no, heard so Word. I'm, I'm like old. <laughs> I'm like notebooks and Word. That's it. I'm done. Like notebooks. Love it. Word, no, 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 no. <laughs> to one. Start. Um, I mean, I, I get very creative with my save my saved document names but like apart from that it's um I mean my, all of my documents are saved to the to the cloud basically so um that's sure. pretty much the only way the only kind of I guess non-computer-based thing that I would I, I use but yeah no I'm old school word documents pen and paper done love that you have heard it here, folks. You don't have to get all the fancy, the fancy bells and whistles. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, whatever works. If a fancy bell and whistle works for you, you get all the fancy bells and whistles. But I tend to kind the of, friends. yeah, that, that I, I'm too intimidated by that technology. So I'm just going yeah. I think that's me too. I'm just like, word has never let me down. <laughs> I know how to use it. <laughs> I'll tell you what it did. It did let me down when they removed numbers from the comments. And I can't tell you how upset I was about that. <laughs> it's the most random thing to ever. But there you go. Um, let's chat your Diamond Inheritance series, which kicks off with terms of their Costa Rican temptation. Can you share with us where the inspiration for this series came from? Oh, I think it came from yeah. everywhere. I mean, like, I think um, it was really funny. So my, my at the time I was coming up with the idea, my dad had just fallen, broken his hip and was in hospital. And I basically moved back home for a month, which was really difficult as an adult, moving back home with your adult parents. It's <laughs> just not recommended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I was getting really quite hysterical you know I, I wasn't I wasn't coping very well they weren't coping very well the dogs were having a miserable time so like it was all a bit of a disaster <laughs> um, and, and then my dad got a urine infection and we didn't realize it was a urine infection because he went loopy and urinary tract infections in men send pe- send them crazy and it's well-known fact and he had been discharged but he was completely so it was it was a very high stressful situation and the poor doctor came out at like four o'clock in the morning and there was this kind of like right okay we're relieved now he's okay he he, he has like it's not staying that personality weird thing that just happened that we will never talk about again it's not staying that's fine yeah it's gone um, it's gone right it's gone and in my kind of euphoric relief I was like oh my god I need I need to work on a story that's like nothing like what I'm doing mm. at all um and you know I I love the kind of old films like the uh, romancing the stone That's and nice. I that kind of drama and I don't yep. know do you did you guys ever get sunset beach did no. you ever watch sunset oh my god sunset beach was like this soap opera that was like you couldn't believe it like it was so amazing um Ben was the hero <laughs> he literally had an evil twin brother and um of there course. was a pre a really hot priest and there was like um <laughs> we love a hot crazy there was like the psychotic ex who tried to impregnate the you so somehow like impregnate herself with her with her ex-boyfriends I, I, there was a there's a whole there was a thing involving a turkey baster 
and there was a Christmas episode <laughs> and it was really weird because this thing had happened and for some reason you're like you're watching it and you're thinking I'm okay with that like I get that she's using the turkey basic to impregnate herself I can't remember how she got what she needed to get but anyway so then there's this Christmas episode and they're using the turkey baster and then the, the screen changes slightly and then there's a the dog is having a conversation with two, with the baby in speech bubbles that says it's okay it's a different turkey baster and I'm like am I high right now <laughs> am I the one going <laughs> like, and, and there was things like um, they changed out an actress while one went off and had a baby. And when she came back, someone was like, oh, my God, you look so different. Have you done something with your hair? <laughs> <laughs> the self-referentiality of it was insane. So I loved the TV show. Like, it was amazing. And they had, like, the missing jewels. So these okay. missing jewels had been stolen from somewhere and needed to be returned to a statue by midnight on New Year's Eve. Otherwise, everyone who touched them would die and turn into dust. <laughs> No, like this is an actual storyline. I have got to YouTube this freaking show. (laughs) It's amazing. And then they did at the end, they did this whole kind of episode and like the beginning is she's in the shower and she wakes up and it's all been a dream. And you're like, what? And they were like, no, no, no. Then she wakes up again and it's all fine. Everything happened. It was okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I, but I, I love the kind of complete joyous hysteria of it, like these missing jewels that are going to, you know. So I was like, well, how can I do that in a presents way? And how can I get in the kind of adventure that present that doesn't undermine the intensity? Because that's one of the hard things. Like the intensity is the promise. So you have to yeah. make it completely authentic to that level of intensity. But I love an inheritance story as well. Like I'm completely obsessed with inheritance stories and I live in Norfolk and there are lots of rundown estates up here so I was like oh okay clearly there's like secret passages everyone needs a secret passage in in yeah inherited estate and and diary entries and I just the, I'm like I really yes. historical yes. and I, want, I was like how do I work in that historical feeling because I love that like I basically just threw in everything that I loved into all of those three mm-hmm. books and it came out as this kind of chaotic sometimes, but slightly wonderful, crazy mess. So, but, you know, I enjoyed it. So, okay, Terms of Their Costa Rican Temptation is a romance between Sky and Benoit, which is this really beautiful story of unexpected feelings, sacrifice, and determination that results in Sky agreeing to be Benoit's wife for three years. One of the best things about these two is the way they meet. What inspired the choice to have these two meet the way they did and in the location you chose? So I feel like the outrageousness that you just described (laughs) makes it make sense, but it was hilarious. I was like messaging Sarah as we were reading it and I'm like, She's not gonna get in the car. She's in the freaking car. He doesn't. Even- <laughs> oh god! I loved writing that scene so much. It was so joyous, and I wasn't sure I was gonna get away with it because it's a difficult opening. I'm not gonna lie. Like you have to spend a long time explaining the situation, otherwise you won't understand it or you won't believe it. Yeah. Because why would you know you go off to Costa Rica? to find some guy and why is he in Costa Rica I don't know so the Costa Rica bit is really easy some friends of mine had gone there and it looked beautiful and I wanted that kind of romancing the stone trek through the forest I mean mm-hmm. not, you can't avoid romancing the stone in that opening it's just crazy like no. jungle heat and you would only ever be walking in a Costa Rican basically rainforest jungle uh, 
if there's been a car accident, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't choose to yeah, do it. Yeah. Like, there needs to be a car accident. And I saw her kind of like popping up and like him just being like, what? And like, you know, <laughs> so I was like, right, how do I get her in the car? How do I get her to hide in the car that's believable? Because she's not ditzy. She's not the ditzy character. She's not, she's yeah. quite sensible. I've been, you know, I just do what I need to do. I get stuff done. That's who I am. And I literally couldn't, like, I didn't want it to be like a, one of those too stupid to live complaints. Um, oh, I'm just going to hide in the back of a car. Um, some people can pull it off and it's beautiful and crazy and lovely, but not for that character. It, it just didn't fit Sky. So I was like, the only way she would do it is she was exhausted. She didn't have a choice. There was no time limit. And her sisters are literally screaming, get in the car, get in the car. Get in the car. She's like, oh my God, get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. I was like, she's not getting in the car. She's in the car. <laughs> oh, I'm so, like, honestly, it's just so lovely to hear your reaction to it because, like, that is exactly what I was, like, feeling when I was writing it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we really love the way you wrote the Marriage of Convenience story. It raised the stakes in the story. It definitely changed the dynamic um, between Sky and Benoit, added a fun element to the story and felt realistic and believable. Marriage of Convenience is such a beloved trope, and this book feels like the blueprint on how to make it work. Oh my God. Yeah. Can you walk us through as a writer when you decide to include a trope such as this one, how you hit the hallmarks of that trope while also keeping the story believable? Yeah, so I, so I, I love Marriage of Convenience because I, I think it's an umbrella for mm -hmm. actually quite a group of different tropes. And I think it's, for me, what I love about it is that it creates like a forced proximity. It creates the locked room that the characters are stuck in that they cannot get out of until they like deal with their conflicts. And I, with Benoit and Skye, it was, he, it, you, you can't make it too easy. Like she wants the map, he's got the map. Like, yeah, he could just give her the map. Or, <laughs> or yeah. he could get a fake fiance or a fake wife. Um, yeah. but, you, what it, <laughs> but you have to make, the, the way to make it believable is to make sure that, that the motivation for it is authentic to the character and to the situation. Like mm -hmm. everyone's backstory obviously has, that his backstory like had to justify and feed into that marriage of convenience or that hook wouldn't yeah. have worked. Mm -hmm. Um, so he had to have a reason that he specifically needed to get married that was tied into his emotions as much as it was tied into the practical situation. He won't know what those emotions are and he won't be aware of it, but like it has to work on multiple levels. Um, but I love a marriage of convenience really because it, it is an inescapable confrontation of like mm -hmm. really deep down eventually what their, what their emotion, the crux of their emotional tension is. And checking back at every point, like, can we get out of it? No, why not? Okay, good, we're fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. later, yeah. track. can we get out of it? Absolutely not. Brilliant, we're on track. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, and I, I just, I love the idea that people are forced into situations that will not let them go without making them confront what it is they need. And yeah. that's that's what fascinates me most about those things. So the hunt for the family jewels. 
continues with book two <laughs> in the series from One Night to Desert Queen, which follows Star. And she's the hopeless romantic out of the sister trio and with a point to prove. And it's as though Sky and Summer don't believe Star can get the job done because she's able to see the romance and things. So where did the inspiration for Star come from? And was there anything about her character that you hoped would resonate with readers? It's like there she says something... I think at the end of chapter one and she like, she's like, I know they don't think that I can do this, but she's like, I, she feels like an Arthurian night. She's going to do this. She's going to go wherever she needs to go to whatever country and get these jewels. And I'm just like, you go girls. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, so it was really important for me that the, the sisters feel different. I mean, it, it's hard when you're writing siblings that, because most of the time they've got the same family makeup, it impact. It would. It doesn't always. I mean, obviously, it doesn't affect people the same way. But it, I wanted to make sure that the sisters felt unique. One of the ways was by giving them different fathers and exploring that and how that shaped their attitudes towards men and romance and themselves. But but also like personality wise, like no three sisters are the same. There's the bossy one. There's the fun one. There's the, you know the, the dynamic is is has always been fascinating to me. And sisterhood was something that was important. For me while I was writing this series um and I think that up until that book I tended to have written characters that are probably a little bit more like me which is a little bit more cynical and dark and twisty <laughs> um <laughs> so, you know yeah, future boyfriend sakes if anyone's listening and they like dark and twisty but anyway um so <laughs> So, but, and I, I was worried about writing her because she is a complete 100% died in the wall, like die hard, full, optimist, joyous, romance loving, it like hot mess as well. I mean, she's like bumping into things. She's grabbing people. She's being inappropriate with a shake. Yeah. She doesn't want to shake. You know, she is literally the tornado. That, <laughs> but, but, He's but, just going along with it. Like she has no idea how inappropriate this is, but no. you're going outside. <laughs> But one of the things that, so I was worried about writing that and whether I could pull that off because I was worried that I would have an emotional disconnect with her. But actually I found it like one of the most joyous things because it made me, it made me bring my deep secret, actual honest to God, romance loving heroine out of myself. You know, I, yeah. I, I got to do, all the things that the cynical side of my brain is like, no, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Stop, stop, stop that. <laughs> my, I was like, my, the other side was like, no, we're going for it. Because anyone who's read the end of that book knows that I truly, genuinely went for it with the final love confession. <laughs> um, it's, it, it was, but it was also like really empowering to write a heroine who was a true believer, um, like in romance, in, in the happy ever after and in the kind of you don't get to judge me don't put me in a box and mm -hmm. the kind of she's not naive because that comes from that the the section where she's he's like oh if I say I don't believe in romance does that mean a romance reader dies and she's like no but it severely di like diminishes your chance of finding true love you know she's not hearts <laughs> and flowers but and she's not someone who hasn't ever experienced loss or pain but she's someone who's able to experience those things and still cling to that like the beauty of yeah of hope and belief and and that romance isn't to be laughed at or dismissed as so many of us romance mm -hmm. readers and writers know you know that kind of 
you don't get to be snooty about us because actually it's harder to know and hear all that you're saying and still read and still write and still believe and still love what we do and read because absolutely how can you be dismissive of a whole genre of romance that a whole genre of literature that just perpetuates the belief that love will conquer all and that's love doesn't that's not gendered that's not racial that's not mind that's like that's not reductive it is open and a sentiment that I just fully 100% believe we should support every book that has that at its heart and anyone who believes in that wholeheartedly like Sky needs to just be protected at all costs (laughs) so yes (laughs) sorry going off on another round but yeah so it was really lovely to actually allow that part of my my character to come through her character and to go oh my god I did that and it's okay you know the dark and twisty side was quiet for a while that was good (laughs) (laughs) um the hero in the book Khalif who also feels he also feels he has a point to prove as the first line uh line first in line to the throne after pass the passing of his brother when you began writing Star's journey in the trilogy, how did he come to you as the perfect choice for her? I it, I think with both, all of my characters, I feel like sometimes quite often they're an extreme that needs to be brought back to balance with each other. Mm-hmm. So like Sky might be a little bit too chaotic and a little bit too like, I don't say hopeful, but she's a bit And he's nothing but duty and he's nothing but like tightly bound in unable to have grieved for the loss of his brother and his sister-in-law for various different reasons mm-hmm. and he needed her joy and he needed her hope yeah. and she needed the romance hero she mm-hmm. needed the absolute 100 traditional take you off into an oasis and come yeah. with rules and you know she deserved yeah. that she earned that and he was that for her but the he also needed like her joy and he needed yeah you know the kind of he needed the love story that that they're able to explore through their grandparents or the great sorry not their grandparents they're like great great Mm -hmm. great great with no children so there's no worry about incest no matter how far removed (laughs) Um, but it was important to me that they were both that, that, that they were they were what each other needed and it created a balance between those two. The third book is Summer's Romance, the Greek secret she carries. When is it scheduled to release and is there anything you can share with us about it? Yes. So it's scheduled for December this year, which is exciting. I've not had a Christmas book. Um, and it it's set in Greece. So we kind of go back a little bit and then we come forward. So, okay. um, because she obviously has a secret. She did. Yep. She's, <laughs> she's pregnant, but don't tell anyone. Um, so, <laughs> and, um, but they've also got, like, if they find the jewels, they've got to sell this estate, right? Like, they can't, you know, and they're like, no. oh, so who, who's, I've, like, how are we going to find a, a billionaire to, to um, sell this estate to? And she's like, oh, I might know someone. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and it's I, I like I think it's really fun like I love this story I love I love their story a lot and um but it also has like 
I think I'm slightly more in love with one of the secondary characters in it, which is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) That is fine. That's, you know, possibly another book. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. definitely. He, like, he's going to be written. Like, there's no two ways about it. Um, But I... I, I've, I've, there was so much I wanted to do and I, I probably haven't achieved it all, but mm. that kind of idea of like coming home and family and the estate and, and kind of, you know, getting things right and learning about the past and, and there's, oh, there's just, just, yeah, I, mm. I hope it's <laughs> clearly written slightly more coherently than what I just tried to describe. Um, so <laughs> I, hope no, I, I love it, especially especially with star's book i love how connected she feels to Mm. catherine Mm. like she's just like walking and she has the necklace and she was like reading her journal entries on the plane ride over and i'm just like oh catherine is like the glue just like holding everything together and she's so distant from them because it's been years i love it Mm. so good it's it's actually really joyful because um i don't get to i don't normally speak to many people who like the many readers so this has been because it's like one giant ego stroke thank you so much ladies (laughs) do this again anytime you want anytime that's what we're here for um some fill in the sentence yes when I'm not writing, I'm... I should totally say reading, but I'm kind of going for, like, sleeping and maybe watching TV at the moment. <laughs> that is fine. That's that is fine. honestly fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm because, like, we, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to talk about the Nene Singh's Side Changeling series because I know how much she's been talked about on this show. So I'm, like, also <laughs> just plainly basically... Really I nice. think we have a question. I think we have a question asking, like, okay. what have you read? So... Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so I'm currently reading Naima Simone's Sin and Ink, which is just, like, everything she's written absolutely wonderful. Like, she's just such an amazing mm-hmm. author. Like, read mm-hmm. anything she writes if she wrote on my toilet paper I would read that like genuinely <laughs> yeah not that I'm asking the name Simone to write on my toilet paper um <laughs> but yeah so I was reading that I'm I've just had delivered I think book 16 which is the kind of bridge in the side changeling series okay. to the, okay. the next one I came to these in May and I had demolished them and I became obsessed, obsessed. and I was like <laughs> allowing myself only to read a certain amount of time because I hadn't ordered them all together. So I like, I had to wait on delivery times, which were all messed up because of COVID. So I was like, Oh my God, I can't read this. So I don't have to go and watch a TV show until the next one turns up because it's not safe for me to finish reading this book because I actually don't know what I did (laughs) if I finished reading this book and the next one wasn't there. Like I might hurt someone and I'm not even (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that was so so those two. Um I have a whole TBR which is just shocking. But it's I've even got a Jack Reacher on there because <laughs> I tend to read that when I'm writing because the the narrative is so stripped back I can't take anything from it. Sometimes if I'm writing and I'm reading another author, then that voice gets in my head and I start picking up the tone and suddenly you'll get like werewolves and it presents and it's not appropriate. <laughs> so instead you'll just get Jack mental <laughs> violence and, 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 and lots of shooting. So it's, you know, it's not quite right, but it's fine. That's right. It's all good. <laughs> 
Um, one movie I'll never stop watching is. Oh my god, Timeline. I know we've had this conversation on Twitter, but Timeline, it is. Timeline is an absolutely atrocious film. I mean, it's absolutely awful. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how bad this film is. However, it's, it's also absolutely fantastic. And it's got Jared Butler, and it's got Paul Walker, and it's got. Um, oh hmm. god, so many people I'm thinking like Billy Connolly and it's got David Thewlis in it and it's wow. got, um, um, oh Anna Friel and it's it's so these scientists are kind of sent back in time to the medieval period and it's absolutely crazy and there's people with swords <laughs> and there's fires and there's evil so Deckard and, and but there's this and there's the central relationship which is just it's actually horrible. Sorry, I really don't mean to be offensive, but it's quite cringeworthy and cringeworthy to watch. But the sub romance is between um, Jared Butler and Anna Friel, and it's just the most delightful thing I've ever seen. And I watched the whole film about <laughs> the, the fifteen minutes of that secondary story <laughs> story time. But timeline yeah, <laughs> it's it's trashy but it, it does have to be watched and then everyone can be really happy when they suddenly see sales of timeline going up which is going to be really weird yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the first song on the soundtrack to my life is um she caught the katie by the blues brothers um the blues brothers okay. is a song my family okay. watched again and again and again um as kids mm. me, my brother knows every single line throughout the whole film but the music in that film is absolutely incredible and she caught the katie is a kind of it's just a family thing that i resonate with so mm -hmm. yeah and now there's gonna be loads of people uh, googling the blues brothers <laughs> googling that, going on spotify or itunes <laughs> My teenage celebrity crush was? Um, yeah, so I had to think about this. It was, I think it was Carter from ER. And then very quickly followed by George okay. King. Noah yeah. Wiley? Yes, from ER. Like, the, oh my God. When yes, that's that? the entire reason I watched yes. ER. Yes. <laughs> that's the only reason. Oh my God. Like, I cried so hard on the Lucy episode. And I was just like, and um, when I applied yes. for my experience at the BBC on Hobby City, I like basically wrote like an essay on that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, and they were like, they probably I just experience because they were like, she's going to go mental if she doesn't. So, but um, yeah, I was an active <laughs> for a very long time. So it would have to be. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, my most comfortable attire is. Oh, I feel like I should give you a short answer for this one because all of them are going to be long, but I think it's kind of, it's basically harem pants. So, you know, sort of very comfortable kind of trousers with a drop crotch that I can just kind of yeah. like float around my house, yeah. non-restrictive. Um, I had Love. an operation on the upper inside of my thigh, which meant that anything that was remotely tight, skinny jeans were out for a year and a half. Leggings were out for a year and a half. It was wow. particularly painful. And then I oh spent a year and a half. I like, would die. Yeah, no, it was really quite difficult. Trying, like, leaving the house became difficult. Um, and for a year and a half, <laughs> I went slightly crazy about how there are no kind of medical clothing for women that is appropriate. Like, if you've had something mm -hmm. done, if you've had a kind of surgery, if you have any kind of, like, 
attachment or sensitive area, you cannot get anything that is okay to wear. You have, I had to buy men's joggers for like a year and you know, I was going commando a large proportion of that time, always inside the house, ladies. Um, (laughs) But like, it was, it was really stressful and it really upset me. And so I definitely support any kind of Mm -hmm. small company, small business who are designing clothes for women or even people who have had surgeries or have things that they need to cover up in a way Mm -hmm. that they can still leave the house in and feel comfortable. And even more than that, feel safe. Because just because we've had like, absolutely things that happen to you does not mean that you don't ever like sex it's important for people to feel sexy and I'm gonna stop my rant there (laughs) (laughs) um one of the toughest lessons for me to learn was oh I think one of the toughest lessons for me to learn was that how I came across wasn't always how I thought I was coming across um so I had this thing where like in some of my jobs I had such extreme reactions to my behavior that I was like genuinely shocked like I was like floods of tears someone had told me that I was being rude and I was like Mm -hmm. I'm not rude I'm like like genuinely kind of (laughs) devastated that someone said this Mm -hmm. go and cry in the corner for four hours because I don't know what to do about it and I and I was I ended up going to see a, a, a work coach for a, a couple of years, which was one of the best things that I've ever done in my life, um, because it was a safe environment in which I could talk through my experiences and um, and learn how what was going on in my head wasn't coming out, like what I felt in my heart wasn't what was coming out as I was interacting with people and how to find the balance within myself and professionally as much as it was personally so -hmm. that I could actually have the desire like so that I could express myself the way that I wanted to and I think that was so one of the kind of like hardest lessons that I was I was impacting how people receive me in a negative way and fixing that has been one of the greatest Mm -hmm. things that I've done that was a bit deep. Right, let's move on. Fun, fun question. Fun question. I love that. No, no, that's awesome. I love that because it's like, yeah, you think that the way you think the way you're presenting yourself is a certain sure. way, but that may not actually be. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love no, that. that's very Thank interesting. You. And it's, it's mm-hmm. really right. it's impossible to tell as well. Like, it's it's a very easy yes. thing, kind of. And, and it was only when it happened three or four times, and I was like, hold on a minute. Like, because it was like, but. I couldn't understand why they were, and I was saying they were behaving in that way. And I was like, actually, it's me. No. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Rapid fire. Are you ready? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> What's one book you'd love to read again for the first time? Oh, it's going to have to be Slaves of Sensation by Nadine Singh. That was like the okay. most, I, I, it's the most exquisitely written book. There is nothing in there that's wrong, wasted. It is just a tour de force of a book. It's amazing. What's the what's the most we are what's the most used app on your phone? Spider Solitaire. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Not Instagram. It is Spider Solitaire because I have inherited my mum's 
interviews with cards and I can apparently play a game of cards for more than four hours solidly without taking a break. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> yep. Love it. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Oh my god, you want me to just pick one? <laughs> so um, <laughs> right, okay, this one. This one is important to my heart, very close to my heart. Pregnancy pillows are something that pregnant women have been keeping from single women. It's the greatest kept secret <laughs> man. Like I have, I am a single woman. I have been sleeping alone for more years than I would care to admit to you on a public broadcast. However, pregnancy pillows are the most amazing thing. They're like these. So the one that I've bought because yes. I'm not pregnant, but I do care about myself and I do enjoy my sleep and I'm really pleased about it. It's like a U, so it's U-shaped. <laughs> and they should rename it the U-pillow so that everyone can have it, not just pregnant women. And like, <laughs> so you, you slip one, 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 one of the legs between your legs so that it balances out your hips and you can snuggle in the nest and you can have one behind you and it feels like you're being spooned. It's the most amazing thing. It feels thing. like a spoon, yes. <laughs> I love it. A little spoon again. And it's like, where has this been all my life? There have, I have been <laughs> pregnant women. How have they not told me about this? <laughs> I'm telling you now, if the UK government had invested in pregnancy pillows for all the single people out there, COVID would have been a happier time. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I love it. Everyone, everyone needs to go Is there work. a category romance series? Is there a category romance series you wish never went away? So many. So many of them. Kiss and Dare, hands down. Kiss was like intelligent funny witty sexy banter mm -hmm. like you've never mm -hmm. seen and and there was just like yeah increased heat passion but also like not skimping on the emotional intensity those two hands down mm -hmm. so besides the greek secret she carries is there anything else we can expect from you this year or in 2022 so the Greeks, which I got still is a bit of a tongue twister, <laughs> the Greek secret she carries, which, yeah, uh, that's December. Um, so we won't be able to fit any more in. <laughs> um, and, but next year, I've got a, yeah, a kind of Scandinavian, like a fictional Scandinavian Ooh. royal family trilogy. Um, which includes, yes. uh, yeah, yes. there's going to be a snowbound cabin in Sweden and it's a false proximity <sighs> and so much fun. Like, so much fun. I, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to have to because I had too much fun with it. But yeah, no. Um, but also, like, <laughs> yeah, just it got, it got, like, I want to go traveling again. And that was wonderful. Like, just being able to kind of explore the kind of, I love a false proximity force proximity mm -hmm. like proper snowbound yeah it's fun nice lastly where can everyone follow you and keep up with you online oh so i'm on twitter i'm on facebook occasionally and mm -hmm. um, i'm on instagram and okay. yeah it's sort of pippa roscoe or pippa roscoe author um and i'm getting slowly better at social media um so yes fingers crossed i will start to kind of properly it's a nice it's a nice thing to do actually in the <laughs> afternoons when I'm like 
do the writing in the morning. As author, as an author, like, does it feel like you have to have this huge presence online? Like, I, I don't know. I'm seeing more authors using like TikTok and more authors yeah. are on Instagram. Yeah. And it's just like, I know for us as bloggers, it's like a little overwhelming. So I'm like, well, for the people that are actually writing the books, it has to probably be like 10 times more overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny because I am very, like, I don't have a personal Facebook I've never been okay. on Facebook. It's not the thing. Like I, ha- we joined Twitter for professional, like for work reasons, like to support the present series. As an, like I literally, didn't, I didn't have Twitter before it. So Twitter had always mm-hmm. known me as within that environment. So it made sense to kind of carry that on. I really don't like promoting myself. I find it really painful. <laughs> um, I still live in that world where I feel like I have to. Like it's not less like on Twitter, it's like, I'm still X Mills and Boone. Like I'm still like a professional. And if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get told off. Do you know what I mean? Like okay. I'm representing. Yeah. And I'm, I, they would never tell me off. And obviously it's my Twitter handle and it's about my writing. So it's not like that, but mm. I still feel like I might get that wrong. Whereas Instagram for me, that, that's completely as an author, like that's new for me. So I feel like that's a bit more easy for me and more authentic, but I don't naturally mm. enjoy it. And I kind of, I don't like the kind of the hard sell posts. Um, but I, and I also think like on social media, like on Twitter, actually most of the people that follow me and that I follow are or like romance writers. They're not readers. Readers don't come and find me mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, so I actually kind of end up using them to kind of catch up with friends or see what my friends are doing or see what they're doing. Like <laughs> just see all the presents yep. covers and see if someone's got a new book out. So mm-hmm. actually I'm just mining it for like my next purchase on my Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We love it. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so much fun. fun. And I'm really sorry I talk far too much. <laughs> so sorry about that. No, you you're are fine, perfect. You're, you're perfect. This was mm-hmm. your show. That's yeah. great. That's right. Yeah, Thank you so right. much. And timeline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well all of pippa's information will be in the show notes we will list books she's mentioned um slave to sensation will definitely be highlighted (laughs) Um, we will also link her um the most two most two recent books in the diamond inheritance trilogy they will be listed down below from both Harlequin and Mills and Boone UK and mm-hmm. Mills and Boone Australia. So you guys can order them from wherever you are in the world. Yes. And just thank you so much for talking oh, to us. God. This has been yes, so much you, fun. <laughs> my cheeks now hurt. I've got my cheeks now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure again you check the show notes and Sarah and I will talk to you all in our next episode. Have a yeah. lovely day, everybody. Mm-hmm.